Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Just do kind of a, an experiment with all of you this morning. And so what I want, want you to do is close your eyes. Just close your eyes real quick. And I'm going to say a word. And when I say that word, if you have a positive association with that word, I want you to raise your hand. If you have a negative association with that word, don't do anything, okay? So I'll say the word. If you have a positive association with that word, raise your hand. The word is authority. Okay, that's good. So initially there's like two people. You can open your eyes. Initially there's like two people, and then like a couple of people thought about it. I could tell. They're like, hmm, and they're like, yeah. And then their hand went up. And then the rest of you were like, no. <laughs> so um, I did that because um, that's my subject for this morning is authority. And I knew that I, I had my job cut out for me this morning because the fact is that uh, authority has a negative ring for a lot of people. But as we're going through this sermon series on the Apostles' Creed and we come to the part today where Jesus ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the ascension of Christ is all about Jesus receiving ultimate authority. And so I wanted to try to tackle that subject today. And my goal is that, you know, a lot of us bring, we have a negative, a lot of baggage associated with that word authority. So hopefully by the end, we're a little bit more open to it and can think about it. And we don't just like have an allergic reaction that makes us want to shut down and turn our ears off. Okay. So why does authority have a negative ring for us? Well, maybe it's possible that some of us have had negative experiences with church people or religious institutions that claim to have a lot of authority, and so they try to control people. You know, when we think about authority, we think of words like dictators and authoritarian, and, you know, we're, a lot of us are millennials, and so we're, we're kind of like anti-institution in a way. We, we don't really like people telling us what to do. We don't like people telling us what to believe. We certainly do not appreciate anybody trying to tell us who we are, right? We live in an age and in a world in which we get to define, we, we think we get to define that for ourselves. And so, you know, you get a pastor, you know, start talking about authority, like, I'm kind of afraid somebody might try to punch me because, like, just no one wants, no one wants to hear about a, a authority, right? So that's, that's sort of just the reality of our situation. But um, the, the fact is that, you know, authority is, is a fact of life. It's just something that, that is what it is. Um, and we all are under authority. And that's sort of the essence of authority when you, when you think about it is that really authority is authority and you don't, you don't have a say about it. If you could say, oh, I'm, that's not an authority, then it wouldn't be authority to start with. So there's something about authority that like, you, it's hard to argue with. So, you know, I might want to drive as fast as I want to drive, but like, I'm going to get a ticket. And so it's kind of like, you know, when, I, when the cop pulls up behind me, this has happened many times, unfortunately. I have a heavy foot, but when the cop pulls up behind me, I'm always surprised, like, oh, I'm getting pulled over? Like, this is ridiculous. But it's like, what did you think? Like, what did you expect was going to happen? Like, you're breaking the speed limit. Like, we live in a country that has laws. Like, that's an authority. Like, just because you don't like it doesn't mean that you're not going to get pulled over. Like, you are going to get pulled over. So, um, Abraham Kuyper was a Dutch theologian and politician, and he had this concept of sphere sovereignty. So I apologize if we're like on a little bit more on the academic side of things today. But he talked about sphere sovereignty. And Abraham Kuyper believed that um, there are different kinds of spheres that exist in the world and that each of those spheres has authority within that sphere. So let's look at just a couple different examples of the kinds of spheres there are. There's the government, the sphere of government. 
And so within society, we, have, we should have a slide that lists the different kinds of um, the different kinds of spheres. You have government sphere, you have the sphere of the church, you have the sphere of the family. You have the work, the marketplace, or, or the, the sphere of your work. And so within each of these spheres, you have the sphere of nature. Nature has certain laws. But you, you can pretend like those laws don't exist. You may not like those laws. I don't like gravity. I wish I could fly. But like me, not liking it simply doesn't, doesn't change it, right? Or you not liking the fact that your boss has authority over you does not change the fact that your boss has authority over you. It's just sort of the way it is. And so within these different spheres, I think that if we, if we actually think about it, we put our negative reactions to authority aside, just put it aside and say, let's look at this realistically and logically. Wouldn't we all agree that at the end of the day, the, that the people who learn to understand and appreciate and maybe even submit to the authority tend to go a lot further than the people who try to thwart or undermine that authority? Okay? That you might be the most smartest and talented person in the world, but if you go to your job and you completely thwart the authority that exists within the sphere of your work, so they, they're trying, you know, your boss is trying to promote or the, the company is trying to promote a certain culture and you're like, yeah, to heck with that. I don't, I don't care about the culture. I don't care about the rules. I don't care about clocking in. I don't care about submitting my reports. I don't care about doing things according to procedure. I don't care what the client thinks about me. Like, you're just not going to get very far. The world just doesn't work like that, right? And the same with nature. I mean, you know, there are certain laws in nature. And, you know, I wish I could swim underwater, but the fact is I'm a, I'm a living organism. I need oxygen to breathe. So, but what if I understand the laws of nature and I work within the existing structure and system, right? And with science, you can invent things like oxygen tanks. And so you can use other laws to kind of learn how to exist that so you can swim underwater with an oxygen tank and go snorkeling and stuff like that but not by violating the laws not by subverting authority but rather learning how to work within authority do you see what i'm saying so authority i just i want to move on from this i don't want to spend too much time on it but it is a reality whether whether we like it or not there are actually many kinds of authorities um, there's the government, there's the police, and we exist within these different spheres. We move from place to place, but we need to understand we'll get further in life if we learn how to work within the existing structures and authorities. It's just sort of the way it is. So having said that, now we come back to the claim of Scripture regarding Christ and his authority. And so really the, the overarching kind of point for today and the very simple message of the Apostles' Creed is that when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to the teaching of the Bible, that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, and then his ascension, as he ascends to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, that is the ultimate declaration of the highest possible ultimate authority in the entire universe, and it all belongs to Jesus Christ. That is the message of the scriptures, that he is the ultimate decider. He is the ultimate judge. He is the ultimate one who is in control of us and this entire world. So you look at Matthew 28, verse 18, uh, right before he's about to ascend in the gospel of Matthew. He gathers his disciples around and he, he claims victory. He says, he, he turns to them and says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hooah! He's like, I am the boss. Like, I've defeated all my enemies, right? I, all authority is mine. Anybody see Wilder versus Tyson Fury last night? 
Anybody see? So now we have, nobody saw it? Probably because it was 1230, right? At night. I was there. I saw it. Don't ask me why. But now he's the heavyweight champion. He's defended his title. He's the, he's the, he's the highest power now in, in, in heavyweight boxing. Almost, not quite, but, but soon, right? So the, Jesus is claiming this authority. The, the scripture is saying, yeah, he's the man. He has authority. Colossians 2, verse 10. Christ is the head of every power and authority. So the unequivocal claim of scripture, Jesus is the highest possible authority. He was weak for a time. He was subjected to authority, right? So Jesus in his suffering, he subjected himself to the authorities of the religious institutions. He subjected himself to the authority of the Roman government and Pontius Pilate as the representative of the authority of Rome, which was the highest then known authority in the world, like, like gave him the death sentence. And so he, 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 he suffers under that for a time, but then God raises him up. And so in the end, he defeats uh, these authorities and claims victory over them in a sense that heaven seated at the right hand of God. The right hand represents the power and the might, the, the arbiter of God, the ex executor of God's will. That is Jesus Christ. That's who he is. That is a current reality right now. He's at the right hand of God in this incredible position of authority. And so I want to just um, try to help us to understand on a practical level what, what does this all mean for us. Okay, so Jesus has this authority. He's the ultimate power, power in the universe. He's the ultimate decider. What does that actually mean? Three things. We can think, come at this from three different angles. And I want to suggest to you that a way to kind of try to understand it is we can say that we can come at it from the, authority, the angle of his authority for us, his authority over us, and then best of all, his authority through us, okay? His authority for us, his authority over us, and his authority through us. So starting first of all with understanding his authority for us. Um, because we come at religion, a lot of us come at religion with a very skeptical and fearful view that God is this judge who wants to, like, he wants to take away our fun time and he wants to tell us what to do and what not to do. The best starting point when it comes to understanding God's authority is to, to think, like, what exactly is the purpose of God's authority? So, okay, he has all this authority, but what is he doing with his authority? What does he want to accomplish with his authority? What's the purpose of it? And so the clear teaching of Scripture, especially the New Testament, is that God uses and executes his authority for entirely good purposes for his people. That his authority is there uh, to liberate and to free us. So Jesus arrives on the scene as a king. He's establishing a kingdom that is a reign, a rule, and authority. And what does that kingdom bring? Well, you look through the New Testament, and as Jesus is declaring the gospel, he's proclaiming the arrival of this kingdom, he's going around from place to place. What do you see happening? What is Jesus doing? You see him forgiving sins. You see him healing the sick. You see him casting out demons. You see him liberating all those who are suffering from all different kinds of ailments and, and illnesses. And he, he's fighting against injustice. He's representing the poor and the disenfranchised. So you think about what this authority of God is a liberating, uh, renewing power that God is bringing into the world through his kingdom. And the best possible um, explanation of this is in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 through 20 or 18 through 20. The Spirit of the Lord, this is Jesus speaking. 
He's quoting the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, it's incredible that Jesus, in his teaching ministry, the people recognized that he had a certain authority in the way that he taught and the way he spoke. And you know, the scripture consistently says that when they saw that authority, were they put off by it? Or were they offended by it? No, no, it said they were delighted. They were delighted. Right? This guy knows what he's talking about. Right? He's not like these other teachers of the law who are there, they're quoting Old Testament passages and they're acting like they know everything about what we're supposed to do, be, you know, to do to be right with God. But Jesus shows up on the scene and he's got this authority that people sense and they love it and they're drawn to it because it is an authority that God uses not to condemn sinners but to liberate sinners. It's an authority that he uses to free people from bondage. Right? If you are under slavery of some sort and you are a captive... You need a higher authority to come in and release you. you. You cannot be set free from a lesser authority. You need a greater, higher power to come and set you free. And that is the power that Jesus exhibits. See, I can see I'm losing some of you. I know this is a little heady, so try to stay with me. Try to stay with me. It'll get more practical here in a minute. But, um, yeah, so you need a higher level of power and authority. And this is the authority that Christ brings into our world. It is a power that sets us free. And so if this is authority for us, then the only possible response then is to receive it. Not to earn it, not to work for it, but to receive it. Jesus does not impose his authority on us. Jesus comes bringing offering gifts, bringing forgiveness, bringing grace, but he does not force himself on anybody. So he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Another scripture passage says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, for you have granted him authority over all people, that he might dominate them, no. That he might control them? No. That he might take away your fun time? No. That he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. When you understand the authority of God for you, when it sinks in and you understand what this means, you will have a sense of serenity and peace that you cannot find anywhere else in this world because it has an unshakable foundation. Think about that. You're not in control. You can't save yourself. There is a God. There's a higher power. There's an authority over you. But he doesn't want to tyrannize you. He wants to set you free. He extends the olive branch through Jesus Christ, his son, and says, come, all you have to do is believe, and it's yours. And then you are set free from everything that tyrannizes you, from death, from sickness, from demonic oppression, from everything. So that's the beauty of it. And so Christian theologians, they call this the providence of God. It's his, his powerful control over all things. God is the ultimate decider, right? Authority is decision-making power. God has decision-making power over everything that happens in this world and in this life. And 
God is for you, not against you, which means that he will use his decision-making power, his authority to serve you, to bless you, to give you life. And so this is the providence of God. So the, the, the Heidelberg Catechism explains this greatly. I think we have it up on the uh, screen. So I'll read the question. You read the answer. Heidelberg Catechism being the historical, uh, it's about 400 years old, teaching of the Reformed Church in, in, in the... Uh, in Germany, I, I sorry, I blanked there for a second. Heidelberg is in Germany, so the Heidelberg Catechism would be the Reformed people in Germany. <laughs> All right, so question number 27, I'll ask, what do you understand by the providence of God? Let's read together the answer. The almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Do you know the extent to which people believe and are threatened and fearful of all the different superstitions and laws and rules that exist out there? Um, how many of you are knock-on-wooders? Right? We do it. Why? It's silly. It's silly, that's why. Because we think, oh, knock-on-wood, like, nah. if I said it, then it probably won't happen. My wife's a nurse. Nurses are terribly superstitious. Like, never say, oh, things are quiet today on this floor. Because that's, like, super taboo. Because the second you say that, you know, like, all heck is going to break loose, right? But see, the whole point here, the providence of God, if the providence of God is real, if we really understand that it is God, right? It's not your tarot cards. It's not your astrology predictions. It's not the stars that determine the course of your life. It is God. Superstition has no place because we are not under the authority of those things. We are under the authority of God, and he's a good God, and he plans good things for us. We don't need to knock on wood because it's not how it works if God really is the highest authority. Next question, number 28. So how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? So let's say the answer together. We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. So I would encourage you, when you're having a bad day, when you feel like your life is falling apart, and maybe, you know, I was just talking to somebody yesterday who had a good childhood friend who passed away, and then a couple days later, his uncle passed away, and things with his, his sick, his health were falling apart, and he just felt like everything was becoming unhinged. In those moments, you got to remember this. you got to remember this, that it's not random. We are not the product of just random occurrences in this world, but we do have an, an authority that we can appeal to. We can be under it and we can find peace. Even in the it's an unshakable peace, even in the midst of the most turbulent life situations. Never forget that. So the authority of God for us. Next, the authority of God over us. So this is the part that you're going to, you're going to, if you're anything like me, you will resist it, you will fight against it. This is the part that's difficult. 
if Jesus is the supreme and ultimate authority in the universe, and if nothing can happen in the world apart from his saying so or allowing it, then we also realize that we are under the authority of Jesus. We are his subjects, we are his servants, and are in the place of needing to be 100% wholeheartedly committed to obedience, to obedience. So this is crazy, right? Because that word obedience, I think, in it's like authority. It like causes that, that negative reaction. And so maybe, maybe there's a part of us that wonders, well, wait a second. I thought you said, you know, that we're saved by grace. This is not what the scripture teaches, that we don't get to go to heaven because of our good works, that we're not good enough. We know that. And we're saved not because of our perfection, but because of the perfection of Christ. And that, therefore, we, must, we don't have to do anything in order to earn God's favor or to earn salvation. It's all by grace, through faith alone in Christ. Therefore, how can you say then that we are under authority and that we must be obedient to God? That maybe some of you, like me, like that, it, doesn't, it doesn't connect for you. So I just wanted, you know, just to share a little bit personally myself that, um, that I, I was kind of like anti-authority as a kid. I mean, I, was, I had a rebellious streak. I, I didn't like authority. I didn't like having to do what my parents told me. I didn't love having to do what my teachers told me. I went to a Christian school. I grew up in Japan at the end of the year at Christian schools. Uh, they do this thing where they give like Fruit of the Spirit awards. So uh, I didn't get them. <laughs> I got A's. I was a smart kid, but I did not get the Good Attitude Award, the Fruit of Joy. They're like, this kid's got an attitude is basically what my teachers said about me. So, and you know, I even remember even in seminary, I was probably 22, 23 years old, and we were studying the Old Testament and studying Psalms where David talks about it's such a joy. I delight in your commands. Like in the Old Testament, it says that kind of, I delight in your commands. And that used to like, I used to like get really stuck on it, like delighting in commands, like commands delight. No, those two are like not compatible. Like commands is, is like awful. It's like, you know, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. So, but, but I will say though, I'm almost 30, I'm almost 40, I'm 39 years old, that there's something has shifted in me and I've changed. And it's not like it used to be where I, I'm so resistant. And, and I actually come to see now that there's great joy and delight in obedience. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm serious. That it is actually pleasurable to obey the commands of Jesus, loving God, loving your neighbor, forgiving, you know, whatever you can think of. That there's great joy and delight there. And so the question is, what, what happened? How did I move from point? How is that me now? I would have been shocked if I had, um, if I had thought that I'd be in this place now. So what happened? Well, I think a couple things. But first of all, the scripture does say that part of the work of God, of the Spirit renewing our hearts, is that he changes our approach to his commandments. And that in the Old Testament kind of sense, before you've met Christ and you've given your life to him, there is a, the, the commands of God feel burdensome. They feel punitive. They feel like, oh, this is just God wanting to take away my fun time. And so there's a resistance, and you feel like I'll never be good enough anyway. But look at what it says in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I, th I think to a certain extent, I have seen this in my own life. This is what it says. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Did you know that that's actually something that happens in the spiritual life as you're walking with God is that the spirit transforms you and makes it not only so that you're not rebellious against God, but you actually want to do the right thing. You want to love people. You want to love your neighbor. You want to treat other people the way you want to be treated. It, like, it happens naturally. This is something that God just does. It's a, it's a supernatural work of God. I think a second thing that changed for me was that my motivation changed, right? Because there's something about if, if I say to you, you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be good enough for me, then I'd be like, I don't want to do that because I don't feel like having to run some rat race in order to try to be good enough for anybody. But if God says, you know what? No, you don't have to do these things to be good enough for me. Christ has done them perfectly. I am fully satisfied in you. JP, I am fully satisfied in you. You may not live a perfect life, but from God's perspective, because of Christ, I am perfectly satisfied with JP. JP never has to do anything again in his life in order to earn my approval. I fully accept him. I fully welcome him. That creates joy. That creates delight. Wow, God loves me? I don't have to do anything to deserve it? Now I want to. Now I want to do the right thing. Do you see? And there's another, there's another thing that happened for me, and that is that the component of trust, there is a component of trust. In order for delight, this is very important. You're, I know you're all taking notes, right? So write this down. In order for trust, I'm sorry, in order for obedience to be joyful, there must be trust with it. There must be trust. It is trust that changes what obedience feels like. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you have a really, really lousy piano teacher. And you're, you do not trust your piano teacher. Your piano teacher has never performed at Carnegie Hall. They've never performed anywhere. But they're so strict and they're so mean and they're making you do all these drills and they're making you practice an hour a day. You don't trust your piano teacher. You are going to rebel. Because why bother to do all that stuff if I don't really trust this person? But let's say that your piano teacher has performed at Carnegie Hall. Let's say that your piano teacher has a history of raising up incredible students who go on to be performers all over the world. And let's say that this really kind and loving and successful piano teacher says, you know what, this is what I want you to do. I want to, I want to practice your scales every day. I want you to practice for at least an hour every day. And you're going to practice this song and this song and this song until you can play it, play it perfectly. And once you play it perfectly, then you got to play it even better. And then we'll go on to the next piece. And you say, you know, I trust this person. And so therefore, I'll do what they want me to do because I know that in the end, it's going to work out for my, be for my better. You see, the, you see the difference there? And if God is sovereign, if God knows all things, and if he's good, and if we can really trust him, then when God says, do not lust, do not murder, do not hate, when God says, forgive your, and love your enemies even when you don't feel like it, and there's a part of us that's like, ooh, that sounds really rough, but if I can trust God, then maybe I should give it a shot. Do you see what I'm saying? So that trust comes in, and we begin to want to obey, and we find great delight in obedience. And I love what an Orthodox Jew said to me one time. He's like, you have the law, but Jews, when they obey the law, what makes them Jews is that they obey it with joy. So it's that with joy part, that they actually don't find the commands burdensome, but there's joyfulness in doing what God wants us to do. Where is God calling for submission 
in your life? And can you let go of thinking submission as a negative thing and consider instead that maybe the submission that God asks for, because he's king and because he deserves it, is actually a submission that would lead to incredible, incredible fruitfulness and blessing in your life? Because doesn't Jesus say, let me check my notes. What did he say? <laughs> yeah. As Jesus was saying these things, Luke chapter 11, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And all the moms said, amen to that. Blessed are the moms. They're awesome. Blessed is the mother of Jesus, Mary. Totally. But what does Jesus say? Verse 28, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Obey it. Jesus spent three years teaching commands to his disciples. How will those commands benefit his disciples if at the end of the day they don't actually put them into practice? It's not going to benefit you. There's no blessing there. If you want to see blessing, then do what God tells you to do. Trust him. Trust him. Give it a shot. See if there's blessing there, okay? So that is the authority over us. And then finally, and I'll close with describing authority through us. And this is the part that is really, really cool. Because not only is God the ultimate authority in the entire universe, but because through Christ he calls us his sons and daughters, he delegates authority to us. He shares it with us. And he gives us power to be these agents, these ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom in the real world, in our world now. And says, you can exercise my authority in your world, in your life, at your work, on the street. He says, I have authority I'm giving you. I want you to take my authority, which I've given you. You're the image bearers of God. I've given it to you. And now you go and you wreak kingdom havoc in the city of yours, wherever God has placed you. He does he explicitly, what did Luke, Luke chapter 10, he replied, says that he sends out the 72 they come back. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I've given authority to my disciples so that they can go out and do my kingdom works in the world. And the same thing applies to you. God has given you his kingdom authority so that you can do the works of the kingdom in Jesus' name wherever God has placed you tell you one interesting story that one time there was a woman who appeared to be demonically possessed I, this, I don't have a lot of experience with this this was a number of years ago she was seeking help from a church joy church maybe some of you know about it so she invited me to come in to be a part of this so it was me and another woman we're going to pray for this person who had it was wrestling with demons she was hearing voices and it was she was very up, upset and going through a tough time I've never seen or done anything like this before, so I was very much out of my element. But I show up to, to minister to the girl, and then the woman from Joy is like, oh, it's so awesome to have a pastor here, because you, you have such, you're a pastor, you have authority, so this, this demon's going to listen to you. I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, okay, so I, I'm a pastor, yep, so hopefully this works. I never done it before, so this was all very new for me. But so then we just we prayed and we prayed for her and, and she struggled for a bit for a few minutes, but we, we cast out demons and I called on the name of the Lord. I mean he's given us this authority. Not just pastors, by the way. 
But all of us, we're, we're, you are all priests of God. You're all children of God. You all have this authority. Are you using it? She was set free, and it never came back. So, I mean, it worked. But of course it worked, right? Why? Because God has given us authority to fight spiritual battles. Ephesians chapter 6 I won't read the whole thing. You're very familiar with this passage on spiritual warfare, but go back and read it and think about it from an authority perspective. He gives us weapons to defend ourselves. He gives us the sword of the spirit. It's a sword. It's an offensive weapon. He wants us to take the offense, to defeat Satan, to demolish strongholds, to demolish authorities that seek to diminish and wreak havoc in the lives of people whom God loves. He gives us that permission that responsibility to do battle in his name to wreak kingdom havoc wherever satan has attempted to set up a false kingdom he gives us the keys of the kingdom and he says whatever you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven we have power spiritual you have spiritual power to open and close spiritual doors. And that's what it means to use this power, this authority he's given you. So I'll close with that. We have the authority of God for us. We must receive it, accept it. We have the authority of God over us. We must submit to it, embrace it. And we have the authority of God through us. We must use it and make the enemy bow in submission, bring renewal, and bring healing. Let, let, let's pray. Lord God, I just pray for a, a, a fresh understanding and experience that this word authority would cease to have a, its negative ring in our hearts, that we would not have an allergic reaction to it, but that we'd welcome it. Because Lord, this is your power. This is your kingdom coming and bringing new life and bringing healing and bringing restoration into our lives. And we need it. Lord, we need it. We recognize our brokenness. We recognize our pain. We recognize our insecurity. We recognize our loneliness. We recognize the fear that we carry around with us because we're so uncertain about how life is going to pan out and how our job is going to pan out and how relationships are going to pan out. Lord, we need to know that, that we are not just the product of random forces of nature, but that our life is in your hands. And so, God, would you just create this peace, this serenity in each one of us because we are under your authority. You have set us free. Let's just be quiet before the Lord for a few minutes. Maybe God is putting something on your heart that you just want to bring before him. So I just invite you now during this time just to, just to, in your own heart, or even out loud if you want, just what, is your, what do you need from God? What do you need him to do for you today, this week?